T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast. Oh, yeah, let's get it started. I'm psyched. John Lennon, this is not what I'm psyched about. Not that he was murdered how many years ago today, but um, I'm excited because we have a lawyer, his New York lawyer, I guess, Jay Bergen here, who has a new book out called Lennon, the Mobster and the Lawyer. And it's the story of how John Lennon got involved with this guy, Morris Levy, who owned Roulette Records. And uh, Levy has always claimed that he was owed an album based on a verbal agreement. This is my understanding of the story with John Lennon. And it was going to be a natural rock and roll album that John had said he just wanted to record those early, um, early rock and roll tunes that inspired him. Anyway, Joe Bergen is the guy who came in to clear up for John the conflict with um, with Morris Levy, who was a mafia-associated character. And I, I'm dying to hear this story. So, Jay Bergen, welcome to WTIC. Wait a sec. Let me push that button. Hi. Hi, Todd. It's Jay Bergen. Thank you for uh, being I, here. I am. Uh, well, you're welcome. And thank you for having me. So did I even set up this story? I assume I made some mistakes based on bad memory, you know, that I didn't hear the story right the first time. Because everything I read about what actually transpired, it turns out my, you know, just picking it up from the media uh, or gossip explanation of of that whole thing, I have wrong. Well, the problem was that at the time uh, that I was representing John from uh early February 3rd, 1975 to uh, through 1977, uh, this was when John had dropped out of the music business uh, and had gotten back with uh, Yoko Ono. Uh, She became pregnant, and uh, he dropped out for almost uh, six years, and uh, their son, Sean, was born in um, October of 1975, about three months before the trial started. So the trial didn't get much coverage in the, in the press at the time, uh, and principally because John was not interested in the press and was just being... So he wasn't uh, doing interviews John and Leonard. stuff? No, he wasn't doing interviews. He was busy he having a baby. Anything. Yeah. No. Well, and he was, you know, once this, uh, this problem with Morris Levy arose in, in early February 1975... Uh, he he was then very involved in the case because uh, once uh, Capitol Records brought out the official version mm-hmm. instead of the um, 
the roulette instead records the, version. The, the, well, instead of the what it was called, it was called Roots, and it was based on a a rough mix of the album that John had uh, had given to Morris. So and John had given just, it to Morris to make him go away. Is that what happened? No, no, he gave it to him really just so um, uh, Morris kept list kept going to listen to three of of his songs owned by one of his music publishing uh, companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and You Can't Catch Me was the main song that John had agreed to uh, pay, uh, play uh, and perform in settling the bogus lawsuit, copyright infringement lawsuit that Morris had brought uh, against uh, John in connection with uh, the song Come Together. And was this John going rogue that he was without an attorney trying to settle this thing with Morris Levy so he wouldn't he could end the lawsuit and just move on and, and did that make it go deeper is that what happened No no he actually settled the case uh, the the copyright infringement case in October of, of 73 uh, with with lawyers advising him and the idea was that he would record three of Morris's songs on his next album and the next album was going to be uh, an album of oldies that John had decided and had started had started to record and mm-hmm. had, and had started recording it in um, October of '73 with Phil Spector producing in uh, California. Oh. Um, your your listeners may have read a lot of the bad press. Uh, about that time when John was in Los Angeles because there was a lot of, uh, uh, how shall I put this uh, politely, uh, partying, heavy partying that went on. And uh, the sessions were were really kind of chaotic. But by October of, of 1974, uh, John had brought to New York uh, the same band that he used to record um, walls and bridges in the summer of '74, and he was working on that when Morris uh, asked him repeatedly for the rough mix of the album because he just wanted to listen to his three songs. And John, that one of the things I found spending a lot of time with John was that he was very shy and he did not like saying no to people. He always would. You know, he he didn't want to appear to be rude. Mm-hmm. So after Morris just harassed him about listening to these songs, he gave him two reel-to-reel, seven-and-a-half IPS uh, rough mix tapes. And several months later, uh, Morris decided that he had an oral agreement from John, with John, to release that album. And he went ahead and released it, started selling it on uh, television, and when Capital came out with the the official version on February thirteenth, nineteen seventy five, Morris stopped advertising his album and then turned around and sued John Capital Records, EMI Records, uh, Harold Sider, who was John's business advisor, uh, and Apple Records, claiming that he had an oral agreement to market this album on TV. Mm-hmm. And and what was your role? Because it sounds like you've got all these companies there that would have been well represented on their own. Why did John need you? Well, I started out representing John uh, because he was an individual defendant, and 
Capitol Records and EMI had their own lawyer, uh, a, a lawyer from um, Washington uh, that they hired. So uh, I got involved because John needed uh, separate representation. And the reason I got involved was that uh, my senior partner, a fellow named David Dolgenus, uh, had been hired by John after John left Alan Klein in uh, 1973 mm-hmm. to uh, help John uh, negotiate the, the termination of the Beatles uh, partnership. And David was not a trial lawyer, and I was, and he asked me to uh, start helping John with this, with this problem. Okay, gotcha. It's very confusing and hard to follow. I wonder if you could just give us a, a gist of what what the book Lennon, the mobster, mm-hmm. and the lawyer is. What you know what the hook is for us? Why would we want to read it? And we're talking to Jay Bergen, the the author of that book. Tell us why. The, the, the main hook is that uh, I kept with me for over forty years while I was moving uh, houses, uh, living places, mm-hmm. uh, several times. The entire trial record. So the, the the book tells you the story in a chronological fashion from the beginning of the uh, come together copyright infringement case, uh, which I was not involved in, but right up through the trial, all of John's involvement. Uh, John was dedicated to to defending this case, Todd, uh, and he and I spent a lot of time together. And one of the keys to the case is that John's testimony, uh, which I quote uh, at at length, uh, is really fascinating because he explains, and I don't think he's ever done this in all of the interviews he's ever done, how he produces a record. Because the judge in the case knew nothing about the Beatles, knew nothing about uh, rock and roll. So he basically had to educate the court. As yes. to what his process was, and w- yeah. what so this is the interesting part. The, the all this other stuff isn't so interesting. But what you learned about John Lennon and what what uh, neat secrets that you know that nobody else does. Can you tell us any of those? Well, I don't know any. I, I don't of know course, any you do. You sat with yeah. him, so you know what he was like, what his mannerisms were well, like. So, like you said, he was a shy guy. I, okay, what else do you know about him? What surprised you? If you're at a cocktail party and someone nestles up to you and says, tell us about John Lennon, tell us something good, what do you say? I say that at this point in his life, he was he was happy. He was just trying to be John Lennon the person, not John Lennon the rock icon. That I took him to uh, lunch in several New York uh, landmark restaurants, which he had never been to. Uh, I took him to Grand Central Station, and he was just a regular guy. Mm -hmm. And he had a great sense of humor. Uh, In fact, he was so uh, out of touch with the music business that one day when we were driving to court in uh, John and Yoko's uh, limousine, uh, he asked me uh, who um, one of the the biggest uh, stars uh, at that uh, time was, uh, the, the band that had the huge uh, hit. Um, you don't know the band either? Uh, no. But That's I, the two of I you. We're perfect for each other. Bohemian <laughs> Rhapsody. The, uh, I'm drawing a blank because uh, 
That's all right. We can check. We're going to take a break so you can look it up. We're talking to Jay Berg, and his book is Len and the Mobster, and the lawyer John was born. Uh, uh, yeah, this is the anniversary of his death. So we're uh, we're talking about the release of, of this book. So we'll talk more with Jay coming up on WTIC. It's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. The book is Lennon, the Mobster, and the Lawyer, the Untold Story by Jay Bergen. He's an attorney who represented John Lennon during the mid-70s in a contract dispute with uh, with a, a record company and a gangster and stuff like that. So, um, you, Jay, you told us that you... Um, well, first of all, do you remember the name of that band? That I, I do, because as we were driving down in the limousine, John suddenly asked me and my associate... Uh, Howard uh, Roy, if we'd ever heard of a group called Queen, <laughs> we looked at each other and said, "Yeah, we've heard of Queen." He said, "And and and a singer named Freddie Mercury." And he said, well, "He said yes, he's the lead singer." He said, "Well, my son Julian, whenever I talk to him on the phone from England, he keeps talking about this Queen and and Freddie Mercury and over and over again." And he said, "I don't know anything about them." And uh, we said, well, you've got to do some research because uh, they are very, very big at this time. So that gave you an, an idea of how out of touch he was with, uh, with the music. Didn't you, didn't you say that Julian was born in, in 75? Yes. Oh, no, no Sean. No, it was Sean. I'm no, sorry. I'm mixing Sean, up the kids. Julian, yeah, it was Sean. Yeah, okay. Julian, yeah. Julian uh, was his uh, first son yes. bought I'm sorry. in the early early 60s, and John really felt guilty uh, about the fact that when the Beatles really exploded, uh, he was not a father to to Julian, and he was determined to be a father to whether a a boy or a a girl was born. uh, Did you know this from personal conversations with John, or you just... uh, Oh, yeah, no, we talked about it. What did he say about uh, it? Well, he said he said exactly as I just said. He said, "You know, yeah. I was not I was not around uh, when uh, Julian was young, and even if I was around at home, uh, I wasn't available because uh, the Beatles were nonstop motion from mm-hmm. from morning to night, you know, twenty four seven. And uh, I don't want that to happen. Uh, I want to be able to spend uh, at least the first." five years of whatever child is born uh, being a father and that's what he did are there any perceptions of are there any perceptions Mm -hmm. of john that are common that that you think uh, are wrong that people don't don't get him right is is he being mistreated in any way by the uh the narrative that that we know him by well, I think John is John was a very complex uh, uh, person. Uh, I think he had uh, an alcohol problem, from what I read, from what I read of the at the time uh, in Los Angeles. But John and I never never discussed that. Uh, he never had a drink when I was with him. He never smoked a cigarette when I was with him. He was just trying to be a real person. But when you uh, would walk God. the streets with him, you know, you said you went to a Grand Central Station with him and you took him to restaurants. Did he have to go in disguise? I would just assume that he would be harassed by people, uh, friendly people, friendly harassment, uh, but just not left alone. Was that not the case? Oh, no. People basically uh, left him alone. Yes, 
One day we were walking up uh, Fifth Avenue near the Plaza Hotel, and uh, he suddenly stopped, turned around, and walked back to a group of like six or seven people behind us, and Mm -hmm. he said very politely, you've been following me, what do you want? And they said, will you give us an autograph? He said, yes, I'll give you an autograph, then you stop following me. (laughs) (laughs) And he, he gave them the autograph, standing right there on Fifth Avenue, and his one rule was, I'll give anybody an autograph, Todd, as long as I'm not eating. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. You don't want to encourage people to be interrupting you when you're sitting with family or something. Yeah, and I mean, one funny story was that the the day we walked up uh, towards the Waldorf Astoria on Park Avenue, this woman, this middle-aged woman, woman suddenly stopped in front of us and said, "Uh, you're George Harrison. And John said, Yes, I am. Thank you very much. <laughs> and then she let us pass. But he did not wear a disguise. He wore, you know, whatever John Lennon would wear on a particular day. And people uh, people would, by and large, leave him alone. I mean, when we walked through Grand Central Terminal that day on the way to the Oyster Bar, which was in the, the downstairs area, um, I don't think anybody really recognized him. You know, I mean, people... In a big city like New York, uh, you know, would they're on the go. They're going to yes. get a train or they're leaving a train or they're going to the office or uh, or whatever. What was his physical presence like? Uh, was he a small man? No. No, I, I would say John was about my height, maybe a little bit under uh, six feet. Uh, he was thinnish. Um, you know, he dressed... He dressed really, I think, uh, in in clothes that uh, I believe he bought uh, at um, you know like secondhand stores mm-hmm. on the West Side. Yeah, he, he was kind of a raggy looking guy. Is that what you're saying? Well, he wasn't raggedy looking. No, he was always he's, he was always neat. Uh, I mean, I'll give you one example. Uh, he had this tie. There's a picture in the book of us having lunch uh, at Sloppy Louie's restaurant downtown mm-hmm. near the courthouse, and he's holding up the tie. And the tie was a tie, a hand-painted tie that he got in a second-hand store on the Upper West Side of of Manhattan, Mm -hmm. near where they lived. And it depicted a butterfly caught in a spider's web. And John told me that that (laughs) symbolizes him Him, being caught in Morris Levy's web, and I'm going to wear the tie every day of the trial. I like it. He was bringing his humor and... uh... And his desire to be a little rebellious right there. All right, Jay Bergen, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. It's it's fun to hear your stories. You're the only person I know who knew John. So I'm depending on you now to keep me posted on everything I need to know. Well, people should read the book because it's it's an unusual story about somebody that they've read a lot of negative and uh, not-so-nice uh, talk about. And... Uh, John was a terrific person, and it was an honor to represent him. Jay Bergen, the the book is called Lennon, the Mobster, and the Lawyer, and that's also the uh, website you can go to to read about it. Lennon, the Mobster, the Lawyer, com. So check that out as well. Jay, thanks for taking the time to fill us in. I appreciate it. Thank you, Todd. All righty, bye-bye. Well, you know, like I said, He's the only guy I've ever spoken to who knew John, as far as I can recall, and probably will be the last. So not the most, you know, 
he's an attorney, and, and uh, you can tell he's not into. It's funny. I was thinking, attorneys, you present a case. You're a trial lawyer. Presenting a case means presenting a narrative and telling a compelling story. And and uh, he has a lot of facts, but he didn't really have much narrative on John, which I find kind of intriguing. Any reactions? Give us a call eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. And we will get a news update on WTIC. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It's Todd Feinberg. It's Todd Feinberg. Monday through Friday, 3 till 6 on WTIC News Talk 1080. Thanks for being here. Wait a sec. I'm just trying to make everything work here. I've got too many computers open in front of me, too many screens, too many passwords I'm supposed to put in. Man, oh, man. Kathy Flaherty is here, though. Let's talk with Kathy. Kathy is an expert in, uh, well, I don't know. Boy, that's a big that's a big umbrella, your expertise. But mental health and navigating the state system and, and – uh, this puts us in a wonderful synergy in terms of our, our missions because they don't coincide necessarily, but they overlap in terms of uh, the information available. So, so Kathy talks to us about trying to help people navigate mental health. Kathy, hi. Hi, Todd. How are you? Nice to have you here. It's always nice to be here. So, so yesterday we had a, a call from a guy from who's a resident of Whiting, he said, and, uh, and you happen to hear it. Any reaction to that you want to share with us? Um, I think it's great that people inside institutions are, are reaching out to you and, and you give them the opportunity and the platform to uh, share their stories with your listeners. I mean, I know, you know, listening to Michael Leibowitz talk about his experiences inside corrections, um, I think probably opened a lot of people's eyes to what institutions are like. And, you know, if the person who called you yesterday decides to call back again or other people who are there decide to call you, um, I think it's it's great. And you sound like that's a partial answer. That's the part you want us to hear. But but what's the rest of it? Why why so why so cautious and a response? Um, I'm a lawyer, Todd. So it's just innate. It comes from um, those years of training. Uh, you know, I think the, the the thing that I will always say, and, and people who know me have heard me say it for a long time, you know, I, as a lawyer, am not a voice for the voiceless. People have their own voices. Um, I support people in raising their mm-hmm. voice 
and and sharing with people what they want to share. Um, and I will. But, but you're not going to speak on their behalf. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that I am not as the same way that that medical professionals owe an obligation of. Uh, confidentiality to their patients. Sure. Well, I'm not going to ask you to divulge anything about yeah. anybody. So uh, lawyers owe obligations of confidentiality to both clients and potential clients. Yeah. So Potential clients. I like that. I didn't know you owe that obligation. Well, when people call you to seek help, they're sharing information. With oh, you. I see what you mean. Okay, so they and become, they, they fall under the shroud right there. So, so, uh, but, but I'm curious what you make of the, the outreach from the perspective of, I was surprised by it and I thought that it wouldn't be allowed and somebody would be nervous from calling inside a, one of the state mental health facilities. And I'm wondering, can I do that all the time? Can I solicit to get everybody to call in and talk about what goes on? I think it would be a wonderful thing for the institutions and for the, um, the burden of the state being being highlighted to the general public and, and maybe them becoming more conscientious maybe with people's care. Am I being uh, naive? I, no, I mean, I think that there, there are a number of people who for, you know, who have been, uh, clamoring might be too strong a word, but who want to be able to uh, share their experiences with people. And in terms of, like, are they allowed to use the phone, um, people are. It's one of the rights under the Patient's Bill of Rights is to have access to a phone um, and to writing materials. Mm-hmm. So um, it's actually one of the things that is on our legislative agenda for next session is to update the Patient's Bill of Rights because the Patient's Bill of Rights was passed um, in the early 1970s. Uh, when we all used phones that were attached to a wall by a cord. And when we sent things through the U.S. Postal Service uh, to communicate with one another. But technology has changed. um, And one of the things that we'd like to see in all inpatient psychiatric facilities in Connecticut is for people to have access to their own devices so they can communicate the way the rest of us do now, which is by text or by email, sure. um, as opposed to having to share a communal phone with up to uh, almost 20 other people. But the, uh, the fact that, that Vinnie called yesterday, uh, I mean, you said people have a right to a phone, which suggests that they have a right to call anybody in the world and say whatever they want. But does that, does that suggestion follow? Does that mean that um, there, there is no repercussion that would likely befall anybody for calling in here and offering confessions about how, uh, what their complaints are with the mental health facility they're in? People should not be retaliated for exercising their First Amendment rights. Have, <laughs> have you ever heard of uh, somebody facing retaliation? Um, I have heard people make allegations, but you of don't know if they were true. Thing happening, yeah. but you know it, it's you know I think people need to be aware of of consequences. You know, a lot of people uh, who are at Whiting and, and usually other facilities too may have a lot of different legal cases going on 
that could be compromised by the possibly you know possibly and you know for people who may have cases pending in superior court that are not cases that you know CLRP even does you know because we don't represent people in front of the PSRB we don't represent people in superior court who are dealing with trying to get out from under the PSRB what we do is we protect their rights under the patient's bill of rights while they're in the hospital. That's why people often have several different lawyers from different kinds of organizations working on their cases because um, none of us does everything. So, so when, when I started having prisoners, and I think I might have told you this before, when I started having prisoners on the air a few years ago, uh, it was, I found it to be very illuminating because, you know, the, the, the prison system and the implications that it projects out into the world of being a department of corrections really were challenged by the, the, from the first conversation on what I discovered was, okay, here is, here is a confession that the state has made. Uh, assuming that the average person would never come to understand that the state has created this thing in its own image, which is totally private. And and that's why it's been comfortable to create this thing in its own image, like all the ugliness and corruption and, and, um, and backwardness of the way government operates is on display. And all you have to do is have a short conversation with a prisoner. Anything they tell you is a revelation of incompetence and, a lack of compassion and really a contempt for the humanity that they house and, and the feeling that the, the purpose, the, the, the legal mission that they have, the government mission that they have is really just a cover story for hiring a lot of people and, and creating a clubhouse for all of them to work and, and collect money. And do you think there are, are revelations like that to be collected as well from talking to people who are in, in the mental health system? Well, I, the short answer to that, I think, is yes. I think one of one of the things is is that institutions, by their nature, um, it, you know, do some of the things that you talked about in terms of like creating these kind of closed spaces and closed atmospheres where things that are probably not in line with the stated mission of the institution happen. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's unique to government-run institutions. Um, you know, we don't have private for-profit prisons here in Connecticut, but a lot of states do, and you can't tell me that the sort of issues that arise in um, correctional institutions here aren't happening or aren't happening even more. No, I'm so glad you said this, Kathy. The difference is that you can fire a private prison system for malfeasance, and there's no way a private uh, prison system can make obligations unbeknownst to taxpayers that they will have to be paying for generations moving forward. And that's what makes it so unique, the burden that's on the state and the burden that's on the average taxpayer having $62,500 in debt for uh, for unfunded liabilities that the state has run up in their name operating things like the Department of Corrections. That's a fair point, I guess. So it's very different. I would love to have all of government be contractual 
so that government could sit there and say, oh, the prison system isn't working out. Let's cancel that contract in six months and bring on a new purveyor and see if we do better with those purveyors. And all I would say is I think that um, the level of disruption that would cause to systems I, I, you know, I, I know you very much believe in the in the free market being the solution to everything, mm-hmm. um, and it, you know it may be the solution to a lot of things. I'm not convinced well, that it works for everything. It, the trouble is, without it, there is no solution. We are trapped in this slow moving morass of government ugliness that you, as a professional at Connecticut Legal Rights Project. As executive director, your job is to try to help people get their rights not so trampled on by the loving, compassionate government. That is true. Let's take a quick break. Kathy Flaherty is here. Thank you for saying that's true. (laughs) We'll we'll continue in just a moment on WTIC. Now, back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're talking to Kathy Flaherty, Connecticut Legal Rights Project. She advocates for citizens in the mire of the clutches of the government in the in the mental health department and all of its uh, tentacles. And uh, can I, yeah, can, please go can ahead. Can I say something? And this is a disclaimer. I I, I think I've shared with you before, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's only fair to state people have to remember that when folks are getting the services and supports that they need from the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, because remember, the department does serve like 100,000 people in the state each year, they are not calling our office. So, you know, the folks that we are working with are people who, for whatever reason, feel like they are not getting what they need from this government agency. Um, but I think there are people who do. I just I, that has to be sure. acknowledged. Of course, <laughs> and and thank you for doing that. I want you to have the chance to do that. I don't want to put words in your mouth or or misrepresent anything that you want to say. At the same time, I feel like there's kind of a, a kindred spirit between us that we are, um, you know, week by week dancing around and and, and coming to understand in terms of um, our mutual missions inside the system. Yes, I mean, because I, I, I think for those of us who work with people who rely on various government agencies to um, provide services and supports, whether that's directly from the state agency itself um, by state employees or the private nonprofit providers who actually provide a lot of the human and social services in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. We need those systems to work. Really, all of us need those systems to work, even the people who aren't using them, because that's what, that's what a social service safety net is. I've been doing this work for a very long time, and I remember when you know the whole country went through that financial crisis 2008-2009-ish. Mm-hmm. The number of people who called legal services at that time, you know, for the first time ever because they had lost jobs um, and didn't have income and needed to find out what those supports were. They're there for all of us, even if we're not using them, because you never know when things could happen in your life to put you in a situation 
where you might need them. Well, and even think, even if we never do, we need them to work for the people who need them. Correct. And I mean, I think we see that happening, uh, you know, with things like Social Security. A lot of people think of Social Security as, you know, simply the retirement benefits. But Social Security has programs for people who are no longer able to work um, or perhaps have never been able to work, whether it's Social Security disability insurance or supplemental security income. And especially with so many people becoming disabled by long COVID, um, and frankly, I was one of them. All right, I'm, I'm sorry, we have like 20 seconds left. Can you okay. g- give this yourself a plug? Where? How do no, how do people reach you? Yeah, um, CLRP www.clrp.org. Our intake line is one eight seven seven four zero two 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 nine nine. Kathy Flaherty, thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. I think we've got time to just hang out and talk, which we'll do coming up. Uh, maybe we'll play rants coming up on WTIC. Let's. Uh... We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 